0: Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen and amen. All right, as you know, we are now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to be going through 11 verses this morning, and it was just uh, exciting to see how Paul finishes off the letter and how he encouraged us to be addicted to service. He says, I want you to be like the house of Sosthenes. I want you to, to go full force. Now, if you remember, Paul's first letter was a letter of correction, of rebuke. He was encouraging them to get back on the right track, and we called it a letter uh, to a church that was in trouble. They were in trouble morally, uh, emotionally. They were in trouble physically, in a sense. They were allowing all this stuff coming in. In the very first few verses, as a matter of fact, in 10, 11, and 12, Paul deals with the division of the church, and he takes off from there. That was the first thing that he dealt with. And it's interesting that the second letter is not like the first. The first, second letter, you're starting to see Paul's heart. As a matter of fact, most people that have studied the, the, both letters, actually all of his epistles, they believe that 2 Corinthians is, you can see Paul's heart more than any other epistle that he wrote. He is really just showing himself, especially in his weaknesses, especially in the things that have been afflicting him. And his affliction and his struggles and his trials and his tribulations weren't necessarily like the struggles and trials and the tribulations that we go through. We have been going through a lot these last couple of months. And I think that this letter is just right for us. Right as we end this quarantine, we end this time of the COVID-19, at the end of all of this. And I pray that you've had time to reflect and look back these last couple of months because what Paul is gonna share with you is this is what genuine, true ministry is. And Paul is saying, okay guys, I I want you as best as possible, as much as you can to join me in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're calling this letter. This series, for the next few chapters, we're going to call it that, where the, the join me in the ministry of the gospel. And, and so he starts off by telling us, you know, I've been through a lot. Not like some of us have been through bankruptcy, through job loss, through relationship loss, through uh, those types of things, through sicknesses and, and through deaths that we've experienced as painful as those are. As painful as those are, I know, but that's not the struggle and tribulations that Paul is talking about. He is genuinely talking about the ministry and sharing the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he's asking them, look, I've gone through a lot, but I've come out ahead. I've come out to the point where now I can stand and continue to preach and proclaim, and I could care less what they do to me. And as a matter of fact, he was imprisoned, and tradition has it that he was beheaded in Rome. After two years in prison, he was beheaded in Rome. We found that out in the book of Romans. And so we, we have, we're being in, in involved and we're being asked to join and be a part of this ministry that Paul has been so valiantly just proclaiming and pushing forward. But he starts off first and foremost by sharing, you know, let me, let me just share a couple of things with you, he says. And I'm going to read verses one and two, and then I'm going to pause there for a moment. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the verses three through 11 to kind of expound on that. But verses one and two basically say this: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul does, as he does with all the other uh, sermons and messages that he's done, can you guys turn on the air conditioner? What what he's done is he identifies himself. He identifies himself so that we could know who he's talking to and who, we, who is talking to us or to the church at that time. And, and so, and he does this with, very, with, with intention. He says, I'm an apostle, just so you know. Now, we've already talked about apostles. We saw what the qualifications for an apostle was. We saw what, the, what, what an apostle is. And first, first of all, an apostle is one that has witnessed Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and one that has been given the authority to go forth in his name. Now, that qualification pretty much narrows it down as we saw in Acts, and that narrows it down to just a a limited few people. As a matter of fact, when we studied 1 Corinthians 15, we saw that Paul says, and I want you to know that he appeared to the apostles, he appeared to the, the women, he appeared to 500, and he appeared to me, the last apostle, the last one, he says. In essence, that was it. Paul experienced him. He experienced the resurrected Christ, and he was empowered by God to go forward. Now, there's a lot of other uh, things that these apostles did, but those are the basics. And so Paul is saying, because what he's going to do here later on, we're going to find out that he is addressing false apostles, apostles that supposedly have been sent out, apostles that supposedly are called by God. And he's addressing these guys, and we are going to address the so-called apostles that we have within our midst in the churches. Because an apostle is one that is called by God, first and foremost. You've had to have witnessed his resurrection, and there's nobody alive today that can claim that. Now, I know that they say and they've seen, but folks, when we get there, we'll explain it a little bit more. Paul is talking about being a genuine apostle, and he has to get that out there and says, okay, I am an apostle, just remember that. You know this. Then Paul says this. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our suffering. You will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that, we will, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I don't know if you noticed here, but that word comfort comes up quite a bit. And Paul is saying, I want you to be comforted. We were comforted. I want to comfort you. You guys comfort one another. You guys help each other. And the reason why Paul is so adamant about this is because he has gone through a lot. And he's sharing with them, look, when you get involved in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to face opposition. And when you face opposition, you're going to need comforting. See, trouble is unescapable, it happens. Reality is in in this fallen world, stuff happens. Somebody once asked the question, why do good, excuse me, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you need to know that the Bible rejects any notion of anybody being good. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, there is no one good, there is no one who seeks God, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Every one of them have gone astray. Paul says, and God tells us that in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when uh, Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler, he says, "Uh, tell us, good teacher. Jesus stops him and says, well, what do you mean by good? Because you know that there is no one good except God. He wasn't saying that he wasn't good. He was trying to get him to understand, when you say that, you're addressing me as God because you need to understand that only God is good. So the question really should be, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to us? As we dive more into the second epistle of Paul and we start looking at the the things that these people came out of, we come to realize, man, they, they were bad. Yes, they were, but so was I. And some of you may have been able to express that same testimony as well. And for Paul, Paul is saying, you know, these things happen to us. And so, but it's evident, things happen to people. Why? Well, because first of all, we live in a fallen world. It's evil. It's 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 wicked. And we're not the only ones that would say that in, in the book of Job. Job is asking the same question. Actually, he says in Job chapter 5, verse 7, but man is born to trouble as sparks fly upwards. Just like when you're doing a campfire and the sparks are flying everywhere, that's the same thing that happens to people. We, we have troubles. It's just a part of life. It's not that God hates you. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not because of whatever... Again, in Job 13, he says, "'Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy?' Sometimes you might feel that God is truly against you and opposing you, and and you feel like God hates you. In Psalms chapter 10, he says, "'Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble?' Many of you have been there. You think, "'What's going on, God? Why are these troubles happening to me? Where are you, God?' is what Jesus even cried out about the ninth hour. He cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamaqsak bakhtani, that is repeating Psalms chapter 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know Amen. if you've ever been to a point at that time in your life, or you, maybe you may have met some people that, as Paul says, and we'll see here here a little bit later, you know, we were at a point where we just wanted to take our life. He says, you know what, we have the death The sentence death already in our life. I just want to end it all. But comfort. Comfort is what God wants to give you. He wants to give you that comfort. He wants to give you that that comfort that only comes from God. Unfortunately, for many of us, we've lost the true meaning of what comfort is. Comfort is not a mom coming up to you and saying, there, there, mijito, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the comfort that the Bible talks about. Let's, let's get you something to eat. Let's give you something to drink. Let's give you something, you know. And, and for a lot of people, when they are, of course, emotionally distraught, and parents want to do what they can, we try to comfort our children with a happy meal. Let's go to McDonald's and buy you a happy meal. And what ends up happening for a lot of kids is they grow up thinking, well, you know, I'm sad. I remember my mom used to take me to McDonald's, so I'm sad I'm going to go to McDonald's and buy me a happy meal. No, I'm an adult now. That's okay. Give me two. And, and many times we associate food and alcohol and drugs yeah. and all these things to comfort. Yeah. But we know that yeah. that's not the comfort that God gives us. Amen. God doesn't give us that type of comfort. That, that comfort, that type of comfort is useless. It's vain. It's empty. And right. it leaves you more depleted than anything before because your troubles are still there. So we have to try to figure out well what is God saying here? What kind of comfort is He talking about? Well, it's far more than soothing sympathy. It's far more than just saying yeah, 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 miho. It's going to be okay, okay, miha. I'm going to just take care of you. Let me just dust you off. Always in the in the New Testament, the word comfort comes from. Well, let me back up a little bit. When the Greek and the Aramaic Testament was first written, it was written in Greek and Aramaic, and of course the Old Testament in Hebrew, and it was translated into the uh, Latin Vulgate in about 500 AD. And so for the longest time, for about a thousand years, they had the Vulgate until Wycliffe came out, John Whitecliffe And he says, we got to get this Latin because people aren't speaking Latin anymore. They're speaking English. And we need to get the English version out to people so they can read it. And so about 1,500, he got up and he, and he rewrote he re- it and, and took the, not rewrote it, but translated it from Latin to English. And we had a lot of these, and thuses. And the word comfort has always meant fortis in Latin. Fortis, which means brave or strengthened or encouraged and built up. The word comfort means to be strengthened. It means to be strengthened. As a matter of fact, it comes from, uh, well, I'll talk to you a little bit more about that, but it, it's more than just saying, yeah, 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 it's going to be okay. It's an inspiration, especially in the times of suffering. It's an it's a building up and an encouragement, which when you start looking at the word comfort now, you start to realize that's what God does. That's exactly what he does. He does exactly that. But These things that happen to us, these troubles and these bad things that happen to us. First, I want to talk to you about why do they happen to us? Why do they happen to us? Because Paul's going to answer that. Number one, I want to share with you on your outlines. I pray that you have them ready. Number one is to test my faith. God wants to test your faith, not because he doesn't know, not because he doesn't know if your faith is genuine, so that you can see how genuine it is. A lot of people, when they start going through troubles, they just throw in the towel Yeah, I forget it. I'm out of this mess. I came tried this God thing. It didn't work. I was in so much trouble, I got into more trouble. Because, you know, we're a bunch of broken sinners, all of us. And we come and we, we join in with a church that is a bunch of sinners and come to find out, man, they're just as broken as I am, if not even worse. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Yeah. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested in fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know, you get, Peter says, you get tested. You get tested because sometimes you need to see how genuine your faith is. And Paul says, Paul says, this is what God does. God, sometimes he tests us in those things. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 17, it says the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the heart. The tests are not for God's sake because he knows everything. They're for our sake. Matthew 24, 13, he wants us to see. He said the tests are to reveal whether your faith is real or not. It's for you to see. No trial, no matter how severe, can destroy genuine faith. During the time of the tribulation, during the time that Jesus Christ is talking about all these things that are going on, he says in Matthew 24, verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, what did it say? Say that again. I can't hear you. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It tests your faith. Number two, another reason troubles happen, things happen in my life, is to reveal what I really love. It's to reveal what I really love. In Romans chapter five, verses three and four, you know, excuse me, let me go to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, you probably know the story that God has promised Abraham a nation, you know, an abundance of children. As a matter of fact, his name was Abram. Abraham means exalted father. And when he was old, up in almost 99 years old, God says, you know what? You're going to have a lot of children. And I'm going to change your name from Abraham, exalted father, to Abraham, the father of many. And so here's Abraham, 90 plus years old, walking around. What's your name? uh, Father of many? Really? How many kids do you have? Well, none. Okay, you had to really understand the times and the place. And he says, Sarah, my wife, I mean... She ain't going to have any kid. I don't know how we're going to do this, God. And God says, you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it through you. Amen. And finally, Abraham has his child. He receives his child, his only child. And in 22, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him. Now, check this out. God tested Abraham. He says, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, God didn't want child sacrifices. That's not what he was trying to do. That's what the people were doing around him. Everybody around in the different countries, different peoples, they had these... These gods that they would sacrifice to Molech was one of them. Where they would have this statue, and they would have his arms uh, molded out like this. And they would put the child on the arms, and they would roast him. They would put children inside of these uh, hollow bowls and and roast them from the inside from uh, from inside the bowl. And they would offer these children to to their gods, and so. Abraham is thinking, I I think that's what God wants me to do. And and, Okay, if that's that's what you're calling me to do, God, I'm going to do it. What God was doing was testing him to see what's really important to you. What do you really love? Do you love me or do you love your vanity? The fact that you're going to be famous. Is that what you really love? The fact that you're going to have an abundance. The fact that you're going to have children and grandchildren to take care of you. What do you really want? Are you really focused on the stuff of this world? It's interesting because when Abraham goes up the hill, he goes up the mountain and Abraham uh, he tells the servants, You know what? Me and Isaac, we're going to go up to the mountain and we're going to sacrifice. And Isaac is going to carry the wood. You stay here and we will be back, he says. He had in his heart, somehow, some way, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 17, by faith, Abraham went he was tested offered up his offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named and even in the New Testament it is credited to him as faith and he tells the servants we'll be back one way or another either God's gonna give me another child up there he's gonna save this one resurrect somehow we will be back Amen. that's faith Amen. and if you know the story He went about the whole process. Isaac is saying, Okay, dad, uh, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. All right, we get to the altar with, Dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. Okay, lay the altar, get it ready and lay down on it. And Isaac says, Okay, dad, (laughs) where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. Now, it's counted to Abraham a lot of uh, faith. But you know, this young kid that was able to walk up the mountain with all this bundle of wood, he had to be at least 12, 14, maybe 15 years old, old enough to carry a bundle of wood. I mean, how much faith did it take Isaac? As a matter of fact, for the Hebrew people, they call it the Akedah, the binding. The binding of Isaac is what they call it, and they attribute it to him more so than to Abraham. Well, not I shouldn't say more so, but they are both accounted faithful because he just laid there and says, all right, Lord, okay, okay, God, okay, Dad, it, whatever you say, and he laid there, and as, as you know the story, at that moment, God stopped him, and there was a ram stuck in the, the bushes that he pulled that out, and that's what was offered. What do you really love? What is holding on to you? This last couple of months, I'm praying that it had that effect on you, what are you loving? What are you holding on to? What are you grasping for? What has been taken away? Did you really need it? See, sometimes we go through these troubles yeah. for God to test us to see what I really love. Self-true. See what I'm really holding on to. What's got a hold to me? I've heard this over and over and over again. Talk to Christians, talk to pastors, talk to people. Some pastors say, you know, one of the things that I found out is we were doing a lot of stuff that it doesn't even matter. And when we go back to doing church again, we're not going to do those things anymore. Because those things, we're just just doing them just to stay busy. You know, folks, we need to really focus on what we're going to do. If the Word is the central point of this church, and the Word is the central point of this message, and the Word is the central point of everything that we do, we're going to focus on the Word. We're going to get it into your hearts and into your minds, into your kids' hearts, into their mind, into your children, your grandchildren. That. Needs to be the focus. And however it is that we can do this, because number three, sometimes God tests our faith or he causes us to go all through all these troubles to teach us obedience. To teach us obedience. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says, David says himself, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. <laughs> you know, you know it was, I was out doing whatever I wanted to do. And all of a sudden I got afflicted. Boom. Don't know what happened to him, but he was down and out. He says, you know what? That taught me to obey. If you look at the Old Testament, every time that a new king came up, it says that he was even more wicked than his father. He was more wicked than the previous king. And every time that that happened, God would deal with him and raise up another king. The book of Judges is the same thing. The people just did more evil than the time before. And so he raised up a judge, saved the people after they came to their senses, and they obeyed for a little while, and then they went back and rebelled again. You know, this is one of the things that God does for us. Sometimes the troubles and struggles that happen in our life are because of that. Because of the places that we go, the things that we do, the, the people that we hang out with. And God says, that's not where you need to be. You know, we end up doing that. You know, if, if only we got this, this whole thing played out in our mind. If only instead of making that right turn, I should have made a left turn. If only I would not have stayed here that long. If I'd have left when I really wanted to, then I wouldn't have got caught up in the mess of all that stuff. If only, if only, if only. You know, if only you would just obey God. How about that? Just obey God and do what he says. Because here's what's going to happen. The writer to the Hebrews tells us, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For my Lord, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He does that because he loves you. He chastises you because he wants you to obey. Number four, why do struggles happen? God allows troubles in my life to strengthen us for greater usefulness. The more that we are tested and the more that we're refined by trials, the more God can use you. And again, let's remember that the trials that God is putting us through, the testing that he's putting us through, it's not the testing that all of us tend to think of. My back hurts. My, you know, I got sick or whatever the case may be. I lost a love one. I lost a relationship. Those, those are sometimes by our own dumb mistakes. But when God is calling us to do something, he will test you and he will strengthen you and he will build you up in this comfort. Paul says in James, uh, excuse me, James says in James chapter one, verses two through four, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This steadfastness that we need for ministry comes through the testing of our faith and the building up to encourage us and to strengthen us. But the biggest that Paul is getting across here today. I wanted, there's a few other ones that I could have mentioned to wean us from the world, to, to call us to a heavenly hope, to uh, so so we can reveal, so he can reveal his compassion to us, to enable us uh, to, to help us to go forward in the world. But but the one thing that God is really focusing on today, and what Paul is trying to get across to the people in Corinth and to us is to enable me to comfort other people. To enable me to comfort other people. Look at this verse in 2 Thessalonians. He says this, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your heart. What Paul is saying here to the people in Thessalonica, he says, you know, God's comforted us. And now, what we want to do is comfort you. We want to help you to see what it is that God wants in your life. So, what do I do? What do I do when I'm going through troubles? And that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked, because it's on the back of your outline. And what do I do? Well, Paul tells us, first and foremost, in verses one through three, he says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort.'" He says, you know, the first thing you want to do is remember who God is. Number one, remember who God is. Now, you're probably thinking, well, I know who God is. I, I know who he is. I mean, I come here every Sunday because I know who he is. Really, do you really know him? You know that we do what's called uh, our, our symbol of salvation, our Lord's Supper, the Lord's table that we share here uh, once a month, which will be next, next week, as a matter of fact. No, it'll be the following week. Amen. Next Sunday is the last Sunday. Amen. But once a month, we do what we call the Lord's table. Yes. And the reason we do the Lord's table is because Jesus said, What? Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we tend to forget. How many times does the Bible tell us, remember? when you were in captivity. Remember when I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, remember, remember. He is just constantly reminding us, has to remind us. And so Paul says, I want you to know, blessed be God. You got to bless him. You got to praise him because what? He is the father of mercies. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. Father of mercies. You see, mercy is Uh, not getting what I deserve. That's what mercy is. So I deserve to be punished. I deserve to get justice. I deserve to be condemned for all eternity because of one sin. And I know I've done more than one. I think I might've done two. Okay. Anyways, that's uh, (laughs) because just one sin separates you totally from God. And the way I like to explain this is is mercy is, is this way. Say, say that I'm driving down the freeway and I get pulled over by a highway patrol and the highway patrol says, here is your ticket for $325. Don't ask me how I know that, I just know. Okay, it's somewhere around there. Anyways, I get pulled over and he gives me a ticket, he administers justice. Justice has been served, go to the court, you have been served. That is justice. I deserve total punishment all mankind because there's no one righteous no not one none of us are good and something has to be done well see what God does he's a God of mercy from the very beginning all of us should have been wiped out Adam included he should have but by his mercy he provided a sacrifice he provided covering he provided the blood sacrifice for Adam and Eve because they were covered in animal clothes Now, that skin from the animal, where did it come from? Something had to die to give up that covering. And that was a perfect picture. And I'd like to say he probably got it from a lamb. He probably got it from a year-old lamb. He probably got it from a lamb without blemish. We don't know. I'm just inferring. But the fact of the matter is that God showed mercy and didn't give them what they deserved. See, grace... And, and that's kind of what happens with mercy. If you get pulled over, which I have, and, and I've, I've been told, you know, you're going too fast, slow down. And he lets me go. I didn't get what I deserved. So he doesn't get, he just gives me a warning, not even a warning ticket, just warns me and says, slow down. Will you, buddy? I says, okay, I will. Thank you, Mr. Officer. God bless you. You know, let me pray for you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you know, aren't you grateful that you don't get what you deserve? Yeah. 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 Let me explain to you what grace is. That same police officer pulls me over for speeding. Not only does he not give me justice, not only does he not give me mercy, he gives me mercy, but he says, you know what? I just pulled you over because you're breaking the law, you were speeding, and that ticket that I'm going to give you is $325. So here, I'm going to give you $325. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's grace. Yeah, yeah. Getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve grace. None of us deserve God's grace, but he gives us his grace. He gives it to us abundantly for those who are called, for those who have been chosen, for those who have been predestined. He doesn't give it to everybody. This is interesting, folks. That he does not give grace to all people, he can't. Otherwise, here, are these vilest criminals will have to have it because God has to go to everybody. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the elect. This is a hard doctrine to get a grasp on, folks, but you have to understand this. It's a limited, it's a limited atonement because Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient for all the world. Because if he died for the whole world, then everybody would be saved. But God had a select few and he said, you, you, and you. What did I deserve? I didn't deserve that. I did not deserve that at all. But God chose me for whatever reason. Maybe because he thought I'd be the only crazy one out here still preaching when everybody else shut down. I don't know. But I know that he did. And if the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and asks him, okay, so if I'm really that bad, what do I got to do? Repent. Repent and be baptized. There's much more that we're going to touch on as we go through this this series. Because God is the father of mercies. He's giving us, he's not giving us what we deserve. These 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 troubles that you're going through, you know, he's not. You deserve more, but he's not going to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve worse, but he's not going to give it to you because he's the Father of all mercy and he's the Father of comfort. Amen. The word comfort, baraklesis, baraklesis, is is comes from the Greek word that means the comfort, to cons, uh, consolation, to appeal, and it's used 29 times uh, in all the the New Testament. 59 instances in the whole Bible. But Paul uses it 29 times and it comes from the Greek word uh, parakaleo, which if you remember correctly, when Jesus Christ was uh, talking to the people, to his disciples in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 7, he says this, and I will ask the father and he will send you another helper, uh, parakaleo be with you forever. That's the word of paracleo, paracletos, the, uh, the word of comfort, of encouragement, of building up, of the helper to come by you. When you go through troubles, God comes right alongside you to build you up, to strengthen you for furthering the kingdom of God. The word comfort Some people think it's like relief and a sense of well-being. It's free from pain and anxiety and physical ease and satisfaction. And many in our culture worship at the altar of comfort. We want comfort. We want God to heal us. We want God to fill us. We want to feel God. We want to feel really good. Because if I don't feel good, then I didn't get to meet God. You know, you're going to meet God more in those troubling times than you are anywhere else. You will meet God more during the time of struggles than at any time in the world. Some commentators, as I was reading this word comfort, they, they one guy says, you know, the word comfort has gone soft in the modern English. It is. It comes at a time closely related to the the Latin root fortis, which means brave and strong and courageous. And the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with the dreamy, relaxed, sleepy feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, Exhortation: God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains saggy spirits so that one faces the troubles of life yeah, yeah. with unbending resolve yes. and unending assurance. Amen. That's the comfort that God gives. Amen. Not this, "Oh, I feel so bad for you. Spy your cheeseburger. You know, And so we need to praise him because of this comfort. We need to raise him up. And this is what Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Amen. That's who we have to bless. Yes. He's not going to put a candy in your hand or a toy. He's not going to try to distract you from your troubles by taking you somewhere else. He brings the Holy Spirit himself right alongside you. The paracletos right alongside you. God encourages us by his word. He encourages us by one another. I think that the strengthening, one of the things, one of the stories, as is, is you heard last week from our brother and sister, that we were able to help during the time of, of deep struggles that they were going through because of all the things that they were going through in life. And, and you, church, you did an amazing job in just coming out in full force and, and showing this love and this encouragement. And, and it was just a token, it was just a token, but for them, they were just so, like, in awe of God. But what they don't know is that, man, it blessed us more than it did them, I think. <laughs> I'm sure they got blessed. I'm sure they, they were refreshed. One person told me, you know, this couple visited me in the hospital, and they came often when I was in the hospital. I mean, and, and I, I'll never forget that. And she says, I'm going to do whatever I can to do to bless them. Yesterday, when some of you found out about Ken, and, and, uh, and I shared with you guys about what happened to him, everybody started praying, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I might have done something a little bit <laughs> over the top, but everybody is just texting him, and, and poor Brother Ken, he's got, <laughs> and he's doing it with one finger, you know. How do I, I can't do this. <laughs> and, and but, but he was just grateful and thankful that he the got the blessings and the, received the, blessing. the ministry that you gave to him. See, it's easy to look at yourself and, and when you're going through all these problems, when you find yourself discouraged because of difficulties. And it's easy just to focus in on yourself. And it's easy to focus on, on nothing else but you and what you're going through. But the first step, the first step that we have to do is just remember. Remember Amen. who God is. Amen. Always. As the psalmist says in 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hill from whence my help cometh. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. He made everything. Number two, remember what God does for you. Remember what God does for you. What does he do? Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We need to remember what he's doing. Sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes the things that you go through, it's not about you. It's not about what you're going through. You know, the, some, God needs people in his church that can pass the test, be strengthened, that can, can really show that they love God and, and, and are obeying and being strengthened by what the, the struggles that they go through. So, and he allows these men and women, children, young people to go through these things so that they can encourage somebody else. I mean, story after story of people that I've ministered to that have lost loved ones that didn't know how, who to turn to or where to go, and all we can do is just pray for them. And months later, somebody else experiences the same thing. And no matter what I say, it never, ever has the full impact of what this couple can go through or this person can go through, the loss of a child. I mean, how do you deal with that? We had a couple here that lost a child at birth. And, and and it was devastating and he says look it's it's a boy and and she was holding him and yet not long after that somebody experienced the same thing and no matter how much i try to comfort them this couple was able to minister to them in a much better place than i ever was and that my friend is doing the ministry of the gospel and so there's there's all sorts of suffering that goes on. And, and this word, the lipses that Paul is talking about, is narrow, means narrow or confined or under pressure. It's the word that is used for pressing out olive oil from olives. And how they goes through this pressing machine. And Paul is saying, you know, this is what happens. Yeah. I was in this affliction. Yeah. I was in this tribulation. I was in this trouble. Yeah. And Paul says, I felt hemmed in from all kinds of different ways. I, I even wanted to die. He says, I wanted it to happen. And and, and we must never think that troubles are an accident. They don't just happen because everything happens according to God's plan. This is another thing that we're going to be talking about, that everything, God is sovereign. And so he has to be in control of all things. He has to be in control not only of this world, of this nation, of this state, of this city, and of myself. He has to be in total control. Some of you guys are asking, well, then, what are we, robots? No, we're slaves. We're slaves. But well, what about free will? Well, you know what? You have free will. And I'll share with you. Oh, how does that make sense? I thought you said that God controls everything. Yes, he does. That's another thing that we're going to talk about. Because there is this huge divide. It's, it's, you know, no, you got free will. No, it's God's predestined and sovereign. And I personally, I have to believe that God is in control of everything, not only on this planet, but on any other planet. Whether there's life form there or not, which I don't believe there is, whether, wherever this universe is at, whatever universe that these universes are in, if there is one molecule, if there's one dust out there, way out in this huge, immense universe that, is, that God has created, if there's just one speck that is out of God's control, then he can't be sovereign. He can't be in control. Everything is under his control. we got to believe this because here, here's what happens. If God is not sovereign and in control, even of my problems and things that are going through that I'm going through, then if our trials are products of fate or chance, then my life is like this Super ball. When I was a kid, there was this ball. Maybe some of you guys can remember. I don't know if they even have them anymore. But there was these balls that I just needed to have, and it was called a Super ball. It was just a big rubber ball, thick, and you would bounce this thing, and it would go bang, bang, and just go everywhere. And bounce all over the place. Some people think, that's the way my life is. I mean, I have this problem, I have that problem, and I don't know what's going to come next. Because it's just fate. And if that's my only recourse, then I just might as well give up. Because nobody can control fate or chance. You see, a second thing that we have is, is that, you know, if we have, if I have to control everything, then instead of a Super Bowl... I'm not going to bounce that thing because I have no no reason or know where that thing's going to land. I'm going to bounce a bowling ball. Now, you ever bounce the bowling ball? Get this bowling ball and it's going to go thunk. It ain't going to go nowhere. And so my life is just like this. See, I'm going to control it. Boom, and that's where it's going to go. You know what? My only recourse is to give up as well because nobody, you know, the situation is equally hopeless because my life is going to stay there in this problem and it's not going to go anywhere. This is why you are not a ball, whether a Super ball or a bowling ball. You're not a blob on this map. You are a sinner who deserves to be punished for your sin. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. And he's in control. And, and if he's willing to die for me, and if he's willing to give me that grace, and if he's willing to save me out of this planet, then I've got to believe that everything that happens is going to help me to build my faith, to show me what I really love, to teach me to obey him, to strengthen me from within, to help somebody else. I gotta believe that everything that happens is designed exactly for that. Then I can overcome any situation in any circumstance. Beloved, wherever you are, if you are going through some struggles right now, just know that God is in control. He has you exactly where he wants you to be, beloved. He doesn't want you to be thinking about, well, this is fate. Well, this is where I'm gonna stay. No. He is working in your life. If God is, if you truly believe that you're regenerated. If you truly believe that God has saved you, if you truly believe that you're a child of God, then stand firm. (laughs) Beloved, we have much more on this. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, I I, I must be okay because I'm not going through anything, you know. I'm a good person. I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. I take you back to Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12, where he says, beloved, you know, God disciplines those that he loves. A verse that I left out, if he's not disciplining you, well, maybe you're not his child. Maybe you belong to the evil one. Maybe you're not part of the kingdom because God only disciplines those that he loves. You know, I I discipline my children. And the neighbors, I I tell you, I I wanted to discipline those children too, but they're not my kids. (laughs) They're going to do what they want to do, but not my kids. You know, my kids, I'm going to discipline them. And there's some kids that I want to discipline as I go to the store, but hey, you know, and that's exactly what God does. Remember. Number three, remember what God does through you. Remember what God does through you. Look at this verse, verses five through seven. Paul says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Now, catch that, folks. When you patiently endure the things that we suffer. Paul is not talking about broken families. He's not talking about heartaches. He's not talking about losing your job. He's not talking about sicknesses. No, Paul is talking about the sufferings that he has gone through. We'll see a little bit later on all the struggles, shipwrecked, left for dead, everything else that that he went through. The things that he went through for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we are calling this, join me in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is not for the faint-hearted. Oh, I'll go to church. Yeah, I'll be a member of your church. Yeah, sure, I'll go by there and set up or whatever. No, no, no. We're taking this a little bit more seriously now. We're going a little bit deeper. We're going a little bit further. We're going a little bit longer. We're going a little bit harder for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's going to be painful. Yes, it's going to be a struggle. Yes, you know what? Some of us are going to fall away to the wayside, but we're going to keep going. We're not going to sugarcoat it anymore, folks. It's it's time to get serious. If this COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's time to get serious. What's going to happen? The moment the church is open, guess what? Everything else is going to be opened as well. The beaches, casinos, the theaters. You know, there's going to be so much. Man, I got so much to make up for. Really? Didn't you realize that God just took that away from you? Don't you realize that all that stuff that you had been basing your life on, he just got rid of it for you? Where's your focus? Remember what God does. In times of suffering, you know, we're, we're, we're prone to forget. We become these, these pools of water. And, and these pools of water, after they're stagnated for some time, you know, they get moldy, mosquitoes, they get stinky. But you weren't called to be a pool of water. You were called to be a channel so that God can refill you and refill you and you just flow. It's kind of like, well, it's exactly what it is. You're a conduit. You're a conduit of God's blessings. And so Paul made it clear that we do not need to experience exactly the same trials that he's going through in order to share in God's encouragement, but we are sometimes going to be discouraged by the ministry. Maybe not the same suffering, maybe not the same lashings, maybe not the same type of of getting kicked out of places, but we will experience certain things. There's so much more that I want to share with you on that, and I will share that with you in the future. The important thing is to fix your attention on God and not on yourself. Don't focus inward, focus outward. Remember what God is to you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Remember what he does for you. Remember what he's doing for you. Remember how he's lifted you up. Number four, remember to trust God. Remember to trust God. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself, under the pressure. We were under pressure, far beyond our ability, far beyond anything that anybody could endure. But we did it, and we did it willingly, and we did it lovingly, and we did it courageously. And Paul is sharing his heart. You know, guys, I want you to know, yes, I yelled at you guys the last time I wrote you a letter. Yes, I've talked to you guys sternly the last time I met with you guys, but I need for you to join me in the ministry. I need for you to join in this ministry of Jesus Christ yeah. because I'm not just giving up my life for no reason. I am being compelled. I, I am an addict to this service, and I'm bringing along other addicts that are addicted to this service. And I'm moving forward, even under great pressure, sometimes to the point of death. Yeah, I want you to be a part of that. And then he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us what? Rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul had to remind them, Jesus Christ died. Remember, we talked about that. He says, remember, I gave a whole 58 verses on the resurrection. And because Jesus Christ resurrected, then we're going to resurrect as well. You and I, we will resurrect as well. And all of us will be resurrected. And so... Now that I'm talking to you about almost dying, guess what? If you happen to die, it's okay because we're going to be resurrected. He raises the dead. He enables us through these trials. And we need to stand firm because what God does in our life is going to be able to help us throughout the rest of our life. And the last thing Paul says is remember to pray for each other. Remember to pray for each other. Sometimes we forget this, and I want you to know that as I pray, when I pray, I'll pray and I'll share with, uh, with you and, and with others around me, I pray, God, whatever it is you're doing in this person's life, I pray that you do it quickly, but you be gentle as well, and keep them in that position Amen. until your perfect will is done. You know, I've shared that a few times with people. You know, I don't get too many prayer requests anymore. Not too many people call me and say, Pastor, can you pray for me? You know, (laughs) because I'm going to pray that God keeps you there until his perfect will is done. Either in your life, your family's life, the doctor's life, the nurse's life, whoever needs to hear the message that you get it out. We had a a missionary stay with us one time for uh, I think it was a couple of weeks. Anyways, he was here at our home and he was from Russia. And I asked him, so what are the people like in Russia? Oh, man, everybody's got... It's godless. It's really godless. Well, what about the ministry? Oh, those guys are very godly. And, you know, once they grab the gospel and they hold on to it, and they've taught me a lot, and I go, like, what? He says, well, they taught me how to pray. You're a missionary. You're in a mission field. You're in this place that's godless. You should know how to pray. He says, oh, no. Let me share with you something. We have Bible studies in these apartments. And in, in apartments, they have these families that live in every apartment, okay? But in Russia, you have a three-bedroom apartment, and three families, maybe four, will share that three-bedroom apartment. So you have three, four different people sharing one room. And so you have families in apartments, and then more families that are crowded up inside of there and its common area and everything else. He was telling me that he was having a Bible study, and the, the lady didn't show up, and she called from the hospital. She says, oh, my son just took really ill. I want you to pray for him. She says, all right, we'll start praying for healing. She says, no, no, no. I don't want you to pray for healing. He goes, what? I want you to pray that, my, that God keeps my son and comforts him. This comfort that we're talking about, comforts him until God's perfect will is done. That's a prayer of a mother. He says, I was so blown away, it changed my prayer life. I don't pray anymore, God help me, God bless me, God keep me. God, you know, I don't pray that anymore. I always pray, God, whatever it is that you're doing, keep me, comfort me the comfort that we're talking about, until your perfect will is done. You see, Paul says in verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God is glorified through the trials and tribulations and the struggles that we go through. He is glorified through all that we go through. And all these things that every one of us have been going through these last couple of months, don't let it just be a waste. Church, those of you that are listening in, I pray that you get plugged in. As soon as your church is open, that you get plugged in. If you don't have a church to go to, we're going to get serious here. This may not be the place for you. But if you're being called and God is tugging at your heart and you're thinking, you know what? I've got to really invest the rest of my life. Amen. I don't have but 20 years left. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll reach you, brother. I don't know. But in 20 years, Amen. I will be 80. Amen. I don't have but 20 years left, if that. And, and you know what? I'm going to use those 20 years to invest in you Amen. and invest in the kingdom so, so that we can get this message out. So Whatever it takes. Are you with me? Let me ask you to stand. Oh, Paul just comes at us right away with his heart. He's broken. He's hurt. He's knowing, but he says, we got to do this together. Oh, I'm going to share with you the things that I've been through, and I'm going to bring you guys right alongside me because God's going to comfort us. That's our word for today, comfort. Father, thank you once again for the comfort that you give us through these trials and tribulations that we go through. Many people have gone through some struggles during this COVID-19. And many people have been blessed by this event as well. You have taken care of us in so many different ways. And you have caused us, Lord, to look upon you. You have taken away the things that don't matter in this world anymore. And you've caused us to focus on, first and foremost, you, your son, Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. You've caused us to focus more upon our families and our loved ones. And you've caused us to focus more on what really is important In this world. So I thank you, Father, for giving us that ability to to just come together in such a way. And we're asking, Lord, for a a huge return on the gospel for you. We're asking for more and more people that you've already called and selected, not because they're good, not because they deserve it, but because you are good and we don't deserve it. But yet, Lord, you have your hand upon that person right now. And if that person is within the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that you just continue to, to tug at that heart and bring them to the place where they need to be Amen. in obedient service to you. Amen. So, Father, we thank you once again. We continue to pray for the ministry and, and for those that are involved. And I thank you, God, for just the, the loyal support of your, your people and how people continue to, to give and be blessed by these messages Amen. and by your word, more Amen. importantly. So, Father, we just ask that you just continue to, to bless each one and hold us strong. And comfort us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. "Amen." And "Amen." With that, remember that we have our box, our offering box in the back. And if those of you that are online would like to give, you can give on tidely.com, and uh, or you can mail in if you'd like. But we're going to have a time of music and song and singing. I hope you guys can stick around for that.